When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Deep Dives podcast here on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. I am your host, Nick Agar-Johnson, and I am happy to be joined once again by someone who has been incredibly kind with his flexibility early in the season, and also because I love having him on the show, Stephen Gillespie. How are you doing today, man? Nick, it's awesome. You know, I feel like uh, I should have my little face on the on the art here for Deep Dives. I've been on here. Uh, it's been fun <laughs> getting to work with you Uh more frequently. I feel like each season our uh, partnership has uh, continued to grow more and more, which is great. Um, I'm excited to be here, man. Like uh, NBA basketball has kicked off. College is right around the corner. Uh, international play has been going. Like basketball is uh, very much on the horizon for, for us uh, in, in the immediate future. Yeah, there is a lot of basketball going on now, and there's a lot more yet to come. So Why don't we get started here and dive right into your article. So for your article this week, you decided to write about UConn freshman Jaden Ross. And we'll get into the nitty gritty in a moment here, but just sort of a general idea to start here. Why did you choose to write about Jaden for this week's piece? Well, so there's kind of, it's kind of a multifaceted answer, I guess, Nick. One, I really enjoyed him whenever, you know, I'm, just like everybody else, when I'm going through and evaluating for this year, I am, uh, you know, combing through the freshmen that are coming in. And Jane was one of these guys that stuck out to me. I'm always kind of looking for these freshmen that have a potential to shoot up draft rankings uh, if everything goes right. And Jaden kind of stood out to me as one of those guys. And I was actually fortunate enough to have uh, his representation kind of reach out and want to collaborate and do some work. So it was very serendipitous in the fact that. I liked him. And then like his representation reached out and said that they were kind of interested in doing some work. So it was just kind of, I guess, meant to be, it was in the cards. So, you know, I just did a Trenton flowers interview not too long ago. The Jaden interview kind of came along the same time frame. So one kind of goes after the other a little bit. So uh, I was just, I liked his game, man, and uh, got to know him a little bit more as a person. And the rest is a uh, very recent history, I would say. And one goes right after the other here as well, because we also talked about your interview with Trenton previously right here on this podcast feed. I want to start with where you start with the article. And I said this to you offline, and I will say it here again on the podcast. I loved your lead. I loved your intro to this article. And I think, you know, honestly, you start incredibly simply. And I think that's exactly where you start. You just put five foot eight. That's how tall our featured prospect was to begin his high school playing days. And That says so much right there. And, you know, anybody who has seen the pinned tweet on my Twitter profile, I will call it Twitter forever. um, Anybody who's seen that pinned tweet will see that the artwork that Corey put together for that article is of Isaiah Thomas, who is 
my favorite player of all time. To be entirely clear, that is Isaiah with two A's, not Isaiah Thomas, the Pistons great, but Isaiah Thomas, some people will say Celtics, Isaiah Thomas, they are wrong. He is Sacramento Kings, Isaiah Thomas. And, you know, you mentioned in the piece, one must be the outlier of outliers to take command of a basketball court at that size, essentially, right? Yeah. And, you know, Isaiah was listed at 5'9 during his playing days, and, you know, uh, he was the outlier of outliers. You know, he had such a potent offensive game that he was able to, you know, take over and be an incredibly valuable player at his peak, despite his size. And the interest here with Ross is it's very similar in a way in that, you know, obviously there's a difference between NBA and the high school game, you know, not to, not to over, not to override that in any way, shape or form. But the idea being you are automatically an underdog. If you are attempting to play basketball at any high level of competition at that size. And it's interesting because as we talk more and more about primary creators and on ball guys in the NBA getting bigger and bigger, you know, a lot of that is that, big men are allowed to handle the ball more often at younger levels than they, than they were in the past, you know, certainly 10, 15 years ago, you know, if you were a big man, you were stationed in the paint, but you know, the youth game allowing for more development of non bigs to handle the ball and pass has been a huge part of that. But part of it also is you'll get guys who have growth spurts, right? I mean, with Anthony Davis, you know, he played point guard for most of his high school career and then he grew eight inches and all of a sudden he's the Anthony Davis that everybody knew at Kentucky and everybody knows in the NBA. But if you start out at that size, you know, if you're starting your high school career at that size, you're obviously a point guard and you're an undersized point guard at that. And so you have to learn how to be good enough to make up for those deficiencies at that height. And when you, you know, have a growth spurt and hit six, seven, you retain a lot of those sort of skills and a lot of that mindset, but now you have the height to see over guys rather than, you know, having to jump past every time just to see over the defender. Yeah, it, it was really interesting, you know, and any anytime I do these interviews, I like to go into it and do a lot of homework. I listen to previous interviews uh, because I like to kind of build upon what others have already established with the player that I interview. Right. And I just think it helps the readers and the audience to, to get to know them a little bit better. But he just kind of ever so matter of factly slid into this interview that he did on 24 seven with Adam Finkelstein that. You know, at one point he was five foot eight and then he grew. And I was just like, well, hold on now. Like, can we can we talk about that? Can we talk about how the fact that you were five foot eight? Obviously, the level of interest that a prospect will get at that height uh, is is significantly lower. You know, it's like the equivalent to the height, right? Like at five foot eight, you get five foot eight attention at six foot seven. You get six foot seven attention. And that's essentially what happened. And uh, there were some things that kind of led up into Jaden, I, I would say, kind of flying under the radar a little bit, so to speak. And one of those being that whenever he was being evaluated and he was being looked at, it was be, it was at five foot eight, you know, and then mm -hmm. some some world events happened that I'm sure we'll talk about here in a moment. But yeah, just the, it was very interesting just to kind of get to talk to him about, you know, obviously at five foot eight, you got to do things to kind of survive on a basketball court, right? Like, you, you're going to have to handle the ball. You're going to have to be tough. You're going to have to use your vision and your angles and manipulation and things like that to your advantage. You're going to have to kind of be a magician, have sleight of hand and all those other things, right? And then obviously as he continues to grow, he big thing that he wanted to emphasize during the interview was that I want to maintain the skills that I had there while also adding more tools to the toolkit there being a little bit longer, a little bit taller. Yeah, and you know that's sort of the way that you can see through in his game, right? That he's someone who 
you know, if you're someone who is six, seven by the sixth grade and you don't grow anymore, right? You know, I mean, if you're six, seven by the seventh grade, you're probably going to be spending a lot of time at center. But, you know, the idea being, if you're not someone who was handling the ball a lot, right? I mean, I have talked about it all the time on here with Devin Booker and Zach Levine being specific examples of, you know, they had to learn how to be, you know, on ball creators for others, right? I mean, these are two of the best guys at getting their own shot in the NBA, but they were sort of forced into a situation where they had to learn on the job at the NBA level, you know, how to create for others, how to be more of a point guard. And, you know, if you had that experience in high school, because you started out at five foot eight of, okay, you know, I'm going to be the pass first point guard, right? You know, I'm going to try and move the ball. I'm going to do everything I can on defense. And, you know, maybe I'm not shooting over guys. So I'm better off trying to feed my teammates than I am looking for my own shot. You know, when you shoot up to six, seven, and all of a sudden there are guys you can shoot over, you know, it's very helpful to sort of have that mentality in the back of your mind of, you know, this is how I be a solid connecting piece. And, you know, something else I've talked about ad nauseum on this particular podcast is, you know, sort of the jumps between levels, right? Where, you know, college game, it's feet in the NBA game, it's inches, right? You know, it's sort of corollary of that is, you know, okay, if you are trying to learn at the college game, all right, I got to pick up how to be a point guard versus, okay, you know, I have some experience being on the ball in high school, right? You know, it's not the same level of competition, but it's something that I'm familiar with, given how much of success in basketball is confidence, just that baseline alone is huge for a player, you know, and if they don't go through a growth spurt, you know, they stay where they're at, right? But if they do, you get Anthony Davis as Anthony Davis. And in this case, you get Jaden Ross going from extremely undersized point guard to pretty solid size on the wing. Yeah, it's just, it's interesting. I think that this is one of the market inefficiencies to kind of use a phraseology that I, my co-host Maxwell would say is that <laughs> a market inefficiency is, are these late growth spurt guys, you know, these guys who have all the tools, have all the skills to do all the small basketball player things, which are still very impressive. I mean, some of the most prolific scores in college basketball are like these five foot seven, five foot eight dynamos who can get wherever they want on the court. They can pull up as, as quick as a hiccup. They're, they're super shifty. They're water bugs. They're omnidirectional. They can do anything with a basketball in their hands. Right. And then the thing that everyone always says is, well, if only they were a foot taller. Well, <laughs> yeah. in, uh, in Jaden Ross's case, that actually did happen almost, you know, he going from five foot eight to eventually by the time he, you know, graduated and uh, has since moved on to UConn. He has grown almost a foot and who knows if he's done growing, you know, there, yeah. there are players in the NBA that continue to grow. I mean, we, we talk about it all the time that, you know, uh, Jason Tatum, when he went to the Boston Celtics, just like kind of randomly had another couple inch growth spurt um, while he was already a pro. So, I mean, there's nothing's out of the question. Uh, with with a guy like Jaden and it was one of those things that was expected to in the interview that I did with him he said that the family was just kind of wondering when it was going to happen because he had John Orma's feet at such a young age so eventually you're going to grow into him so it was just it was a matter of time but it was just great to get to talk to him and get to understand that he he gets the importance of maintaining that small guard skill while growing into a more capable talented uh, more physically imposing wing. So let's dive deep and dive into the Jaden Ross tape and starting with where you start in the article with the offense. And, 
you know, as you mentioned, in the 85th percentile in overall offense in high school, but you know, what stands out is how mature he is in the half court. And that interestingly leads directly into the next part in a strange sort of way, which is you go from there to talking about his off the ball game. And the way I think that's, you know, really important is even with some of the biggest star guards in the NBA, there will be times when you don't have the ball in your hands. And, you know, there are the sort of quote unquote heliocentric model is, less common than it was even two, three years ago of just one guy dominates the ball the entire time. Like the 37 point a game season from James Harden is not quite something that, you know, we're seeing as much this season, you know, because most of these teams will at least have their star off the ball sometimes, right. You know, whether that just is to create, you know, spacing or whether that's to let more people operate the offense, right. Being able to, do something both with and without the ball in your hands is going to be huge for any player, but it's going to be particularly huge for someone like Jaden, who, you know, will not be running the vast majority of the offense this season. I think we both agree that Stefan Castle is an exceptional exemplary prospect in this class who will deservedly be handling most of the, you know, on ball duties. It's really important for someone like Ross, especially since he, you know, sort of came up as an on the ball guy to be able to be effective without the ball in his hands. Yeah, that's that's nothing new for him, you know, and and talking to him, uh, you know, one of the things that he said towards the end of his interview, whenever I'm trying to get him to, you know, what's your pitch to an NBA team? Like if anyone's going to address or excuse me, invest uh, draft capital in Jaden Ross, why would they do that? And he's he doesn't have a big ego. Now, I know that there are probably some folks that would say, you know, I want this guy to have the dog in him. Trust me, he does. But I think, you know, the the point that Jaden is trying to make is that it doesn't have to all be about him mm-hmm. shooting the ball, right? And this off-ball ability that he has, it's vital, especially to his development as a freshman on a team with championship aspirations. I mean, we're talking about the defending NCAA men basketball champion. We're talking about a team coached by Coach Hurley, who is one of the most demonstrative uh, more enthusiastic, I, I would say, uh, coaches in all of college basketball. And it's laden with returning players such as, you know, um, Donovan Klingon. You're going to have transfer players like uh, Cam on this team. You're going to have other star freshmen who have, who many have projected in their top five, and it's Stephon Castle. So when you kind of mix all this together and you throw in your Alex Carabans, other players like that, you kind of have to get in where you fit in a little bit. And I think that's going to be pretty easy for Jaden. You know, he's used to playing with other star level prospects in AAU. He actually played some AAU ball with a solo ball who is also on this UConn team as well. So he's used to playing off of other more high profile players, but he still shows out and he still is a star in his role. And I think that as he continues to grow in that regard at UConn, one of the things that I mentioned in this article and what coaches are telling you know, people in his representation and NBA front offices is that it's only just going to be a matter of time as to when Jaden gets a shot at the pros. It's not a matter of if. And it's because he can do so much for an offense away from the ball. He's constantly moving. He takes smart angles. He relocates well. And he's a very confident shooter. Like His shot is pretty. He's still working on it, uh, which kind of lets you know what his work ethic is. I mean, you turn on the film. He's a really good shooter, man. Like, it's a very pretty shot. But the the off-the-ball game that he possesses 
is probably my favorite quality with him because that's what's going to make you travel at any level of basketball, let alone the NBA, is being a complimentary player. You know, what did Draymond say? There's only two people on a team that are the stars and everybody else is a role player. Uh, Jaden Ross, uh, I think role player might be underselling it for a lot of people. I think that he is going to be a very vital member of any organization that he's a part of. It's just a matter of getting the opportunity to be able to showcase it. You mentioned other levels of the game. It is fascinating to me that this is almost the exact inverse of the discussion we had last week about Trenton Flowers, of the idea of, you know, going abroad, going professionally to a team that is going to, you know, specifically in the NBL case, highlight your development as a prospect versus, you know, in Jaden Ross's case, it's like, okay, you know, maybe there'll be more eyes on you because you're at UConn, you know, the, the blue, one of the most blue blood pro- programs that exists in college of sports, course. right? You know, that's as pretty much as big as it gets. And, you know, with Stefan Castle and Donovan Klingon, that's, you know, two potential top 10 picks that are already on your team, right? Yep. If you don't fit in, you're not going to get playing time. And, you know, for some players, that's, you know, going to work better because you're not the kind of player who's going to have the ball in their hands the majority of the time. And therefore, yeah, I can find a role. I can fit in it. And I can prove that you should be giving me those minutes because I fill out the rest of the roster around me. But, you know, the flip side is that there is a fight for playing time that Trenton Flowers did not have to face in anywhere near the same sort of manner. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're talking about a team, like I said, if you just look at their their roster right now, I can mention a few different players that would occupy the same space on a court that you would be looking to put Jaden Ross in. And Jaden knows this. Like, this isn't a surprise for him. You know, he's used to adapting and overcoming and meeting challenges head on. And I think that, you know, the commitment to UConn signifies that he's taking his recruitment and development very seriously. You know, he could have gone to a different university where he would have gotten guaranteed playing time. Uh, But he's choosing UConn because they turn out pro prospects. They take guys who have really good games and and make them better. I mean, look at what happened with Jackson Jr. and Jordan Hawkins. You know, it didn't happen in year one, but ultimately they, they got to where they wanted to go. And now there's a lot of hope on both of their horizons as professional basketball players because they have the stamp of approval of a coach Hurley. They have the ability to complement a number of different types of players. And they have NBA level skill set, which again, with Jaden, this off ball game where he can just do so much and keep a court wide open and not just shoot the ball like he can do a little bit more with his game. He already at such a young age where he is still going to improve on being stronger, still wants to improve the ball handling and grow as a defender as well. Like the sky is the limit. Like it's ultimately going to be up to Jaden to determine how kind of microwave ready to quote like Trenton Flowers, like we did last time, how microwave ready he wants to make it to the NBA. But I'm I'm a big believer in his work ethic and in his in his development, and as well as what UConn has shown to have a track record of doing with these types of players. Let's stay on the shooting for a moment here. There is a question that you ask multiple times throughout the article, which I can best summarize as what else? And, you know, I think that's, I mean, best summarize, that's literally how you phrase it multiple times. But, you know, the, the idea here being that, as you say in the article, right, he's not just purely a three point shooter. He's someone who has a developed game with the ball in his hands. And 
what that means is, you know, when people close out to him hard, he's not going to panic. He's going to know what to do with the ball and he's going to be able to do something good with the ball, which does distinguish him from, you know, a lot of the shoot first prospects that we see flame out at the next level. I mean, you and I have talked on this particular feed within the last few weeks about, you know, how one dimensional players are starting to get phased out of the NBA. You know, you've brought up Anthony Morrow. Troy Daniels is sort of always my go-to for that particular point. Jason Capone, yeah. Exactly. But, you know, the idea being that that used to be enough and it isn't anymore. And so for Ross to be someone who's already comfortable being chased off the three-point line and figuring out something else to do, that's a huge selling point for, okay, look, you bring him in as a shooter because that's what he does best, but he's not someone who's going to freeze when a defender is, you know, closing out hard to him at the three point line. Yeah. He can do a lot of different things. And one of them obviously is just being able to catch off of the, the, or shoot off the catch immediately. And what I love about him is no matter which one he does, it doesn't take him very long to recognize the next move that he wants to make. You know, in in this article, I kind of highlight the, the three levels, uh, I guess, of a catch and shoot player and especially being off the ball. Right. One is just the shot off of the catch, and that's pretty self-explanatory. Then there's like the dribble jumper aspect of it where he can catch the ball and he is coordinated, uh, confident, capable, and quick enough to relocate with just a, a one dribble or and some sort of combination of either a step back or a sidestep or something along those lines and pull up for a jumper off the move, which is pretty impressive, right? And then there's the whole let me hard sell out the closeout against you and just live with whatever comes next. Well, Jaden in a few, few instances where there's a hard sellout chasing him off the line, he's big and coordinated. And I would say wiry enough. I wouldn't even classify him as like bona fide, just a strong prospect yet, but he's wiry. Like he's not afraid of contact. He'll mix it up in the paint a little bit too. You know, he understands angles. He understands his length and, he has the athleticism to be able to get up and, and pat his head running down the other side of the court to DU up next. So he he is very capable off the ball, and he complements that shot with uh, this other what else-ness to kind of coin a phrase here a little bit. You know, he can do a little bit with the ball in his hands, which really helps him out and uh, rounds out his game. Yeah, and there's, I think, a big difference between, you know, saying someone's a, you know, shoot-only player versus the kinds of players who are shoot mostly. That's going to sound stupid, but I'm going to say it anyway. You know, there are plenty of guys in the NBA who, you know, 70-odd percent of their attempts come from three-point range. And, you know, that's what you want. That's what they're good at, right? But, you know, a lot of those guys just don't have an in-between game at all, right? It's like, okay, I can run out in transition. I can make smart cuts but I'm mostly going to be sitting out beyond the three-point line. And if you can test me, you know, I'll make the right decision. But for me, the right decision is almost always keep the ball moving and not try and get to the basket, right? And so there's a big difference between, you know, okay, I guess if you force me off the three-point line, I can make a pass and, you know, try and relocate. Or, okay, you're forcing me off the line. I can dribble into a midi, no problem. Yeah, he he does so much. And if I could kind of transition uh, the, the way my brain is wired right now, I want to kind of transition into the, the connective part of his game. If that's yeah, okay. absolutely. Because one thing that I love about a good shooter is that they can weaponize the gravity that they have, right? Yeah. So if, if Jaden has it going, obviously that's going to garner a lot of attention, right? 
And if the ball is whipping around and those quick, you know, 0.5 second reads are happening, it could catch the defense napping. And one of the things that I love about Jaden is that when he does catch it and he does decide to be a little bit aggressive and put the ball on the ground and use that shot gravity to pull the defense to him, it opens things up for his teammates. And having that five foot eight version of himself still somewhere deep down inside of him, he's able to to be creative with the ball in his hands and get his his teammates open. You know, Nick, I think we can break down basketball in a lot of different ways, but the way that I kind of analyze basketball is offensively is full of gravity and pressure. You know, there's this constant push pull of the offense that's trying to manipulate the defense in such a manner to force an opening. And I think gravity players like a Jaden Ross are particularly important playing off of these rim pressure guys, whether they're ball handlers or lob threats, whatever the case may be, having that gravity to allow these pressure athletes to finish at the rim is such an important part of the game of basketball. And I think Jaden also understands that and uses his gravity to full effectiveness. I've used this example so many times at this point, but I use it because I think it's particularly telling. There's a huge part of shooting gravity that is the willingness to take the shots. I mean, you know, the example that I always go back to is it's because I can remember it off the top of my head is, you know, Rajon Rondo in one of his years with the Kings shot 37% from three point range. And it didn't matter because he was taking two attempts per game and he was wide open on every single one of those attempts because people are assuming he's not going to shoot. And, you know, 90% of the time, that's correct. He was just going to drive his way to the basket and pass out of easy layups to try and lead the league in assists. You know, that isn't the idea here with Jaden. And, you know, again, part of it is actually being a good shooter, obviously. Like, doesn't matter if you take seven attempts per game if you can't hit him at all. But, you know, a huge part of the effect of gravity is not just, oh, wow, he, you know, connects on 40% of his threes, all two of them he takes a season. Fantastic, right? It's (laughs) the real weapon of the shooting is, oh, he's three for four on his first four shots from deep. We need to key in on this guy. Mm -hmm. You know, that opens up the kind of space where you can take advantage of it. If you're a connective passer, right? It's not just, Oh, okay. You know, he's, he's a good shooter, I guess, but he's only going to take one or two of them a game. So we don't need to worry about him out there. Yeah. Dude. Is it better for me to maybe give up four points in this particular game to a Rajon Rondo, or is it more important for me to stop, you know, whoever else may have the ball in their hands. Like if Buddy Hill is cooking for Sacramento when he did play there, uh, you know, it, it just all depends. Or like what we saw the other day with Smont going on a heater against the Lakers and helping the Kings close out a team that's looking to punish them, right? Who do you want to give up the the points to? You don't want to give them up to, to Jaden on the perimeter because he will make you pay. He's in a very good percentile and unguarded uh, jump shots as well. But, you also playing tight doesn't really make that big of a difference either. So you have to make a concerted effort whenever he is getting it going from beyond the arc. And like I was saying, that opens up the playmaking component of his game because that gravity, you know, these defenders are going to be in orbit, right? And that clears things up for everybody else on the offensive side of the ball. One of my favorite plays that I saw of him, I I posted in here uh, was the fact that he catches the ball in the corner And he is so decisive uh, because there are two defenders that are trying to figure out, am I, is that my man? Is that your man? Jaden doesn't 
like catch and survey, which I hate when players do that. He doesn't catch and survey. He recognizes the fact that two defenders are quickly looking at each other and looking at me. They don't know who's got me. I'm going to make them figure it out. So he catches the ball on the left corner, drives to the top of the left wing, which pulls both of these defenders away from him. Meanwhile, his teammate is wide open in the dunker spot. Jaden is throwing a pass off the move, like a hook wrap around uh, pass over the top of the defense because he's six foot seven. He can do these types of passes and he hits his man right in his pocket, goes up for an easy conversion in the paint. It's just a perfect example of what a, a player who recognizes the gravity because of their capability beyond the arc and weaponizes it beautifully against the defense to make life easy for his teammates. Yeah, 0.5 basketball is a term that I've seen more in the last two years than I had in the entirety of the previous time that I've been you know, paying attention to basketball in any sort of capacity, but... Yep that whole offensive ideal collapses when people hesitate. You know, the whole idea is, you know, Danny LaRue has described it as one dribble and a quick decision, right? And that's really where it is of like, if you are sitting on the perimeter and hesitating and waiting for the right opportunity to show up, you know, there's the idea of, okay, you pass out of a good shot to get a great one, right? The flip side of that Mm -hmm. is if you don't pass into the window for a good shot while it's open, you might not ever get that great shot and you might be stuck with the ball with two seconds left on the shot clock and have to toss up a prayer because you saw that opening and you hesitated because you were like, but maybe in another second, there'll be a better opportunity available. Yeah. And I even talk about it a little bit in the article and this isn't groundbreaking news, but every moment you give the the defense a second to recover, the more difficult you're making life on yourself. And some players like the difficult shot and some people settle for those. Jaden is uh, one such player to where he can hit tough shots now. Don't get me wrong, but he is much more happy being able to make the defense look silly by the decisiveness that he has within his game. So speaking of defense, let's move on to talking about Jaden's defense. And there is one part that you mentioned right at the top of the defense section that I want to get into here, which is his defensive playmaking in essence. And you point out that, he recorded more stocks than he committed fouls, right? 29 steals, eight blocks. And I talk all the time on here about steals rate because it's one of the statistics that translates incredibly well from name level of professional basketball X to the NBA. I mean, yeah. you know, I've, I've said before that my number here might be outdated, but you know, the number that I remember when I looked at it originally was, of steals rate in college translates to steals rate in the NBA, right? If you're a defensive playmaker at the lower levels, you're going to be a defensive playmaker at the higher levels. And, you know, there's some element of gambling involved that, you know, leads you to have to question it, right? Like, you know, not to pick on anybody in particular, but Russell Westbrook has led the league in steals before, and he's not someone who you would call a spectacular defender, but, large part of the reason for that is because he gambles for steals and, you know, one out of three times it works and the other two times his guy's scoring on him. Right. And, you know, I do say that just to leave a grain of salt in the discussion, but the ultimate point is that if you are a defensive playmaker in high school, you're probably going to be one in college. And if you were one in college, you're probably going to be one in the NBA. And Jaden definitely falls into that defensive playmaker category, just based on the tape from high school. Yeah. So there's a little bit of a double-edged sword, I think, sometimes whenever you evaluate this, the stocks versus foul committed. And this is something that 
I'm just like flipping a keen eye to that uh, hasn't really ever been something that I've monitored, you know, like what has been the level of, you know, forced turnovers with these blocks and steals compared to the amount of fouls. I want to kind of monitor this to see if whether or not that is an indication of playmaking or maybe it's just like an, a level of safeness uh, on the other side of it. You know, are they sure. are they afraid of committing these fouls or are they just kind of reaching instead of playing sound defense? And one such player that I'm interested in seeing how that, you know, kind of travels moving forward is Jaden. Excuse me there. My, my laundry's done. Um, <laughs> but there are some really good things about Jaden's defense. And there are some things that with most young players that I'm ready for Coach Hurley to kind of get him whipped into shape on. And, uh, you know, I say that in in hopes that he does do that. This isn't a knock against him, but. He does have like really good tools at six foot seven. It looks like he's got a plus wingspan, a budding athleticism. I think as he continues to add strength, the reports are Nick that he has put on 10 to 15 pounds in the very short time that he's already been with UConn. So the frame looks like it's going to support more strength and more muscle, which is going to help him athletically as he continues to grow and develop. And I think that's only going to add to these flashes of playmaking potential that he did display in high school. Uh, one of these plays where he uh, shows excellent closeout technique is that he goes from helping on a drive to where he is on the uh, defenses, I would say, uh, right block, right, where the, the driver's coming down, the driver kicks out. Jaden is able to flash from the block to the corner on his same side and actually get a hand on it. It's not Victor Wimbanyama. I know that that <laughs> is what everybody's looking at um, when they're monitoring closeouts, but he is able to recover strong, quick, and in a hurry. Uh, going from the block to the corner as a player that is projecting to be a wing, you know, at the very highest of levels, which is very good uh, indication of hustle, of effort, read, timing, uh, understanding of his own abilities, and just recovery going from help side defense to immediately being on ball and contesting a shot from a, a guy who's a pretty good shooter too. So a um, lot of good playmaking potential defensively for him. I just don't think that's his strength yet, but as he continues to add strength, I'm ready to see what that defense looks like. It'll be fascinating to track. The help defense stuff in my mind is going to be the biggest key for him. I mean, he's not yeah. someone who's going to be a point of attack defender. He's not someone who's going to be a primary rim protector. And outside of those two extremes, really in my mind anyway, the most important part for a young prospect is to be a good help defender, to know when to rotate, to know when it's okay to abandon your man because there's a bigger threat charging down the lane right now than whoever you're supposed to be sticking to in the corner, right? That, you know, sort of idea, and that gets back to a lot of what you we were talking about, right? With the idea that, you know, he has he has the right instincts, but he's got a lot to clean up, right? And that's, you know, where it's really helpful to go play for a coach like Coach Hurley, where it's like, you know, if you don't clean some of that stuff up, first of all, you're not going to play. But more importantly, you're going to learn the difference between when is it worth it to take the risk to rotate and help versus when do I really need to stick to my man in the corner? And, you know, if you're the point of attack guy, you're just going to be trying to manhandle the ball handler as much as possible. If you're the rim protector, you know, you're going to have to switch sometimes. But the vast majority of your responsibility, especially as a drop big, is just going to be, you know, sticking around the basket, defending the rim, right? For Anybody that's primarily going to be a two through four, which is where Ross sits, you know, yeah. I think the help defense is is the more important part than, you know, really just being a massive on ball menace. And, 
you know, with Ross, again, it's as you say in the article, right? The instincts are good, but there's stuff to clean up and he's in the right spot to try and learn how to clean those things up. Yeah, it goes back to what I was saying earlier that the commitment to UConn indicates that he's taking his development very seriously. I mean, if you look at some of the defensive indicators against the pick and roll ball handler, he was in the 53rd percentile in isolation defense. He was in the 82nd off screen defense was average. They, they say that the 35th percentile is average, but it was the fewest amount of possessions that he defended against a particular play type. So I think that that is important in kind of looking at the defensive profile. I highlight one area uh, against the drive where I, I look at this all the time when I'm evaluating defense and I'm not proclaiming to be Tyler Metcalf, who is the resident uh, defensive doctor here, uh, the mad scientist at no ceilings. But one thing that I love to look at um, when I'm evaluating defense is where, how are you playing the ball handler? Are you mm-hmm. being reactive or are you, are you forcing a direction, right? And it, on this drive defense that I highlighted, is that whenever the ball handler is getting to the to the point to where they are trying to make a play, where they are looking to attack the rim, Jaden defends this play at the middle. His feet are parallel to the baseline, which means that whenever the ball handler is going to make a play to the rim, you're immediately playing catch up. You know, like you have to force one side, you have to slide your feet, and your feet cannot be boxed up to your shoulders. Like you, you have to slide. And Jaden kind of pays for it a little bit on this play. But I think that this is not an indication of him not being able to do anything better. To me, this is like a very coachable thing, like teaching a player how to cut off angles, how to force them in one side, how to force them to their to their weak side as opposed to their strong side. You know, those are going to be the things that he can continue to add to his game. And again, Coach Hurley, you got to play good defense if you're going to see the floor at UConn, especially on these wing spots. I mean, they just lost Jackson Jr. And there's going to be plenty of opportunity for someone to try to fill this role. I'm not saying that that Jaden is going to be the next Jackson Jr., but he could certainly stand to pick up some of the defensive slack that is left on the court now. And to kind of wrap up the defense, the rotation instincts I think are very real, which is going to speak to that help defensive uh you know, aspect of his game that you were that you were pointing to, because in this play against uh, AZ Compass that I have highlighted in the article, you see him kind of recover between two different players, contest two different shots with the same possession and forces a miss. Like to me, that's the type of stuff that if I'm a coach, I'm looking at saying, okay, your instincts are there. Your tools are there. Let's work on the footwork. Let's work on understanding of angles and forcing players to do things they don't want to do. Now you're a well-rounded defender to complement the offensive skill set that you have. And ultimately, as we sort of get into the final section of the piece here, that's really going to be the appeal of Ross as an NBA prospect, you know, whether, as you said earlier, whether that's this year or further down the line, you know, the appeal is going to be, you know, again, it's, not the one dimensional thing. It's filling multiple different holes. It's filling multiple different holes on, you know, both ends of the floor. It's, as you say, willingness to take on multiple roles on both sides of the ball, right? Ultimately, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not the superstar scorer, right, you're, you know, you're going to need to find a niche that is more than just having the ball in your hands and driving the basket every time. And, you know, as you mentioned right off the top, you know, at the very beginning of the piece, right, he's someone who, had to learn to develop his game around 
being an undersized point guard. And now he is no longer an undersized point guard. And obviously that, well, to his future NBA translation, right? You know, teams are much more looking for six foot seven guys who can do a bunch of things than five foot eight point guards. But, you know, the idea being those instincts carry over those, you know, ideas of how to play basketball will carry over from being the player he was and allow him to sort of develop his game along multiple avenues rather than just, all right, you know, this is sort of who I am as an undersized point guard. I got to figure out a way to made a way, a way to make it work. It's more just, you know, there are multiple different avenues that I can go down and it's a question of which one he's going to follow. Yeah. And the, the title of this article for anyone who hasn't read it yet is a uh, everything changes, right? Mm-hmm. And, Looking at the development, the journey, the basketball path that Jaden Ross has gone down, one of the things that he's credited to his development is actually something that kept everyone at home for a long time. And Nick, uh, COVID is like a distant memory for a lot of us, right? Like a lot of us had people that were impacted by it. We we know stories about it. We We were all locked inside. But in terms of sports, I think that COVID is like, a, a distant memory like when we watch basketball players especially young ones who are aspiring to try to make it into the pros we kind of forget the impact that COVID had on them but the thing that stands out to me about Jaden is that he takes advantage of every opportunity COVID is the time in which he grew he came into he went into this COVID year about five foot ten came out about six foot four six foot five and that's when he tried to round out his game and that's when after the other side of COVID when AAU ball picked up so when people are like, oh, my gosh, like, who is this tall, sweet, sweet shooting ball handling wing all of a sudden, you know, playing dominating in Peach Jam, like putting up big performances. Jaden is accustomed to rolling with the opportunities that are presented before him. Right. And going from being five foot eight, going into this kind of like developmental cocoon during the time of COVID coming out of it better for it. Now he is entering this whole new stage to where. He has shown everything that he could at the high school level. Now he's going into a different type of developmental cocoon where he's having to earn what he is given now. You know, he is on a team laden with star freshmen, with star transfer portal prospects, with star returning players. And he's having to now find his new role. And everything now is going to be earned. Everything now is going to be because coach trusts him. And it's because of the play that we just got done breaking down, Nick, the the character of who this young man is, the family that he has behind him. He comes, Nick, from a very prestigious basketball lineage, too. Like, his grandpa played in the NFL. So, like, this guy has athleticism within his DNA. There's a lot to love about this kid. Now it's going to come down to proving himself in in these practices and these European tours, which his camp has reported to me that they're just he's getting all types of praise, which is making my heart race every time I think about seeing UConn play now is because I liked this guy just as a prospect before getting to know his story, getting to know him a little bit um, in the about 30 minutes I got to speak to him uh, as a person. There's just so much to like about his game, man. And uh, I think that he's he's in prime position to take people by surprise this year, man, because UConn is a team with high aspirations. Him being on the floor means that the team has the utmost confidence in his game. All right. Anything else you want to cover here before we wrap this one up? 
No, man, I just uh, I want to continue to thank you for any time you want to have me on to ramble on to talk about you know, the pieces that I'm writing to talk about the game of basketball at large. It's always fun to link up with you, brother. But uh, just anybody who's listening who hasn't read or seen the article or, or seen the interview on uh, No Ceilings uh, TV on YouTube, go check that out. If you want to listen to it on the podcast, it's available as well. And NoCeilingsNBA.com, Nick, where we had a pretty big announcement come out over the past week. Uh, but you will be able to read this article free of charge. It's one of the many things that we're continuing to bring to our uh our supportive audience who I just, it's been awesome to kind of get to know more and more people beyond just the, the computer. Like anytime I go to these basketball events, it's been awesome to get to meet people who are like, Oh snap, you're with no ceilings. That's pretty cool. <laughs> like I like this, this piece and you know, Nick is awesome. And Corey has great videos and Rucker is hilarious. And Metcalf is a, is a old man shaking his fist at people that don't play defense. <laughs> you know, it's uh it's just fun to get to interact with the audience, man. But, uh, I just I appreciate all the opportunities that this uh, platform has given me, man. All right. Well, he is Stephen Gillespie. You can find him on Twitter at Stephen G Hoops. And you can, of course, find his work on NoCeilingsNBA.com. Be sure to check out this article, of course, if you haven't already. And also be sure to check out Stephen's interview with Jaden, available, as he mentioned, on the No Ceilings TV YouTube channel and on the podcast feed. If you've been enjoying this particular podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. And if you have any feedback about the deep dive specific portion of the podcast, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter at NBA Johnson or via email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.